and welcome to Potter Not, a podcast for those with conflicted Harry Potter feelings and those who have absorbed Harry Potter through cultural osmosis and want to dive into the good and the bad. I am Zoe, she, her, a jaded fan. I am E, my pronouns are she, they, and I am a fledgling fan. I am Adela, my pronouns are she, her, and I need to figure out a new word for what I, type of fan I am. <laughs> <laughs> I've literally, the last couple times we recorded, I've been like, should I change to also jaded fan? Because yeah. that's a what I'm feeling. for two jaded fans and a new one. <laughs> a newly becoming jaded fan. <laughs> so stay tuned as I figure out a word. It might just be jaded. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a. I'd like to talk about this more when we finish the book. Just like I feel like it's a good wrap up thing to have that yeah. time to have that conversation. But I'll yeah. say for yeah. real time context, since it's been a few weeks since we last recorded, and people listening back might not be aware, but uh, JKR continues to be full ass transphobic on main and it's it's awful it sucks and she keeps doing it and she keeps doubling down on it yeah it's getting worse and worse and worse yeah if you're looking for a synonym for jaded might i encourage deadened and benumbed <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take those into consideration <laughs> uh yeah so the thing that we want to do with um i i think we we should just mention that um we would really like to f- start to focus more on fandom and on fan interpretations of the books and our own interpretations of the stories rather than uh, focusing too much on the exact content of the books, if that makes sense. Yeah. As much as these stories can be reclaimed from the author, I think that's where we should really be focusing because going over the text. And we have, I mean, we've been positive on the writing of these books quite a bit and given credit to the author for that. And I think that is no longer deserved by her in any form. Like, I don't want to be one of those people that's like, oh, Miku wrote Harry Potter, because that's irresponsible. (laughs) But, But like, Harry Potter belongs to its fans. Yeah, and it has for a long time. Yeah, when there are things that we like in the books, we can talk about liking those things, but we don't need to give credit <laughs> about yeah. them being written well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, we read some more chapters. Also, sorry we didn't have an episode last week. Yeah, it turns out that summer scheduling, despite theoretically being more available, is not. It never is. And it never is. Funny. In 2020, nothing is. So Nothing is. That's true. As, but here we are. So I guess I'll, I'll just go ahead and say this. My birthday was just the 11th. I am 30 years old. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Zoe. Thank you. I'm an old lady and my joints prove it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, what I was going to say is uh, my childhood was riddled with people being like, oh, yeah, I'm free for the summer. Okay, well, here's my birthday party. Okay, but I'm going to be gone. <laughs> yeah, I also have a summer birthday. later in the summer and it it never scheduling is always terrible shout out to summer birthdays along with harry shout out (laughs) whose birthday is the final day of july it's coming up um anyway we read chapters 11 12 and 13 the firebolt the patronus and gryffindor versus ravenclaw um i'll actually be honest some of these bits uh are my favorite um specifically the quidditch game i knew you're gonna say that (laughs) (laughs) 
These felt like relatively thin chapters. Yeah, very. I was rereading it earlier in prep for this recording, and I was just like, wow, there's not a lot of text here. There's not a lot of text here, but there is a lot of information, and specifically about what Dementors do and are, and what Patronuses mm. do yeah. and are. Yes. So the first chapter is sort of end of the fall term going into Christmas holiday. We have Harry reflecting on the revelation we learned last chapter. Yeah, Harry's super pissed. Uh, angsty Harry begins. I think this is the first instance of uh, truly angsty Harry when he is kind of talking back yeah. to Ron and Hermione. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes in future books of like the three of them sitting around in the empty Gryffindor common room and Harry just like spouting things, mm -hmm. plans, frustrations, etc. And this is the first time where like he is able to, he feels comfortable. He has peers that he can like share his feelings with and yeah. maybe he's doing it a little bit aggressively sometimes, but... Yeah, I'm just glad that he has people to talk to now. Yeah. Um, speaking of being sad and mad, um, we go and visit Hagrid very briefly. Um, Buckbeak is being condemned to death uh, for attacking. Condemned to trial of some yeah. sort, right? And the assumption yes. is the outcome is death. That's right. what Hagrid is. is I assuming. find it very funny that. In this book, specifically about wizarding, like, prison culture, mm -hmm. that we get this interjection of, but magical creatures get trials. That's right. Wizards <laughs> might not. Technically, wizards also get trials, but... I mean, Hagrid didn't when he went to Azkaban. Speaking mm, of true. that, he also talks about the horrors of Azkaban in this chapter. Yeah. yeah. Also, I... I don't buy that those are his worst memories. And I know that he probably wouldn't spout them out in front of these right. three, even if he was drunk. But I, I really don't think no, that yeah, what he's no. saying is... Anyway, they look at some of the historical cases against animals, which are very funny. Um, There's one where a, a, a beast got off because everyone was too scared to try and yes. it out. Yeah, the manticore. Um, there was one thing, sorry just to go back to the um, Hagrid talking about the horrors of Azkaban. I just want to mention one thing that I would like to talk about more when we get to the end of the book. It's when they're talking about uh, Hagrid being innocent and how the Dementors didn't want to let him go. Um, and Hermione says, but you were innocent. And he says, do you think that matters to them? I just want to talk a little bit more about innocence when we get to the end uh, in relation to yeah. surviving Azkaban because it's uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and then Harry gets a firebolt, hence the name of the chapter. <laughs> I also like, um, Hermione goes to Professor McGonagall and tells her that Harry has received this mysterious gift. Mm -hmm. And Hermione and McGonagall both jump to the conclusion that clearly it was Sirius Black who sent Harry a broom. Yeah. Why the fuck would you assume that? <laughs> like, I, ha I actually happen to agree with Ron and Harry here, who are like, what, what? Do you think he did, like, mail order? Do yeah. you think that he, like, <laughs> like, what in the world? Also, I think it's really funny that Harry says, Dumbledore wouldn't spend hundreds of galleons on me. He can't go giving students stuff like this. I'm like, Harry, did you forget where you got your Nimbus? 
Yeah, I thought that was McGonagall. I mean, it was from McGonagall, but it was with Dumbledore's permission. That's true. Yeah. Also from a teacher. So yeah, I I just I am astounded by the fact that McGonagall also thinks that it um, is astounding. That like a huge leap of logic. I feel like that does make sense with how paranoid everyone is about Harry and I Sirius think it Black. It makes sense for Hermione. I just don't think it makes sense for McGonagall. I feel like McGonagall will be like, okay, but take me through that logic. And as soon as Hermione did, McGonagall will be like, I don't understand this logic. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is a point to get into one of my big thoughts for these chapters, which is why is Hermione taking such a heel turn uh, in the middle of this book? Or why is the narrative taking such a turn on Hermione? I wanted to talk a lot about Hermione today because I was thinking about that a lot. Uh, while reading these books and I I did not see it the way that you're seeing it as her having a heel turn I'm seeing it as I was just noticing how badly the other two treat her well yeah (laughs) and like like, it's not necessarily that she has a heel turn it's that it's the way that they are interpreting her greatest way to put it it's more of Ron and Harry she's written in an antagonistic way turning on Hermione in a really weird way. But also the narrative doing it because a lot of the like a lot of the conflict is due to Crookshanks. Yeah. So okay, so there's a few things. There's Hermione being so stressed about her studies that she's just crabby anyway. Then there's Crookshanks, which by the way, I don't feel like it's in character for Hermione to be that reckless about a cat that she owns. Yeah, that's true. She would probably, like, take more care. Even if she's already crabby at Ron, like, she's not the type of person to just let a pet of hers cause wanton destruction. That's a good point. And then there's the firebolt thing. And so there's, like, a huge rift between Ron and Hermione and Harry and Hermione. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, So the thing that these chapters, especially chapter 12, um, but also a bit in chapter 13, made me realize, which I don't, I can't believe that I never like actually noticed this before, um, which is just that, well, obviously their, their anger at Hermione, the way that they're treating Hermione in these chapters is unfair. But the thing that I, that made me reflect on is that they're never actually very good friends to Hermione ever in the books. Mm, I would push back on that. So this is the reason why I think this is because like, yes, they, they enjoy spending time together a lot and that's fine. Does Hermione ever go to them when she is having a problem? Does Hermione ever ask for help for any issue that she has? If I like, I feel like the person she talks to about that is Ginny, which we don't really see. But they enjoy spending a lot of time together. But they're always like dismissive of her ideas and her feelings. They use her as a homework helper. It does <laughs> feel especially like that in this book. And like we know that we we believe, and I've always believed that they are best friends. But it's because Harry always calls her one of his best friends. Not because they actually treat her the way you would treat a best friend. I think I disagree with that. I think book four shows how close she and Harry are. Yeah, they do get closer in book four. 
I do feel like I it's the type of trio that if Harry were not there, Ron and Hermione would not be friends. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, it's one of those trios of friends where one friend is for sure in the middle. Yeah. I, that's absolutely true. But I think that Harry and Hermione are... Oh, yeah. Harry is definitely, I like, when I'm talking about this, I'm mostly, it's especially Ron, who is not treating Hermione well most of the time. Um, but Harry does also. Harry's not a great sometimes. friend, period. He's not a great friend yeah. to Ron, either. I think that, honest to God, I think that this is just an aspect of his trauma. Oh, yeah. Like, he does not know how to be an open and willing friend, and he is still a better friend to Hermione than Ron will ever be. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, th I think that he does open up to Hermione um, in book four and book five. I think Hermione opens up to him in book six. I think that there yes, is a lot true. of back and forth there. Um, I also think that we get a lot of elisions in their friendship because it is so Harry-focused. We are yes. following him, and because he and Ron room together and are together all the time, we often don't get that Hermione piece, but mm -hmm. it's implied quite often. And yeah. in the letters during the summers, it's implied quite often. I think that they do have a much closer relationship than otherwise stated. I also think that there is a moment in the books, I think this is way at the end, but I think there's a moment in the books where Harry specifically says, Hermione is like a sister to me. And yes. I think that like a sister is a different category. Like as it someone is. who has a sibling, siblinghood and best friend often overlap in the way that it's talked about. But I think that they are slightly different in the way that like yeah. you can pick up and keep going and all these different things at different levels. I do think that Harry and Ron have a, a best friend relationship. Like yes. Ron is described as like his brother in on occasion, but Ron's actually his best friend. Whereas yeah. Hermione being described as like Harry's sister makes way more sense than saying she's his best friend. And I think that there's a reliance and an understanding between them that is different than the reliance and understanding between Harry and Ron. Oh, definitely. That, like sibling versus best friend. Yeah. There's also something to be said at this point in the series. They're 13. That they are 13. And that there yes. is a particular type of, you know, emotional closeness that you have when you're 13 that is very rudimentary. And, you know, it doesn't always include, you know, confessing your, you know, deepest fears and feelings to that particular person, even though you may be very, very close, that sometimes that's fair. You go to different people for that. And I think you're right. I think this, these chapters, both of you are right. Like these, these chapters especially, and this book in general, are way too harsh on Hermione. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I still think that the Firebolt thing is a leap of logic for her. Like, I can see it, but it's still a leap of logic. And I feel like putting that yeah. on her is really just to put it on her and make her more of an antagonist. Yeah, it's, it's mm. quite confronting. But I do think that there's some, some lacking in emotional understanding just because they're 13. I'm also not sure what the point of the firebolt being taken away for a while is. 
to make Carrie stressed. <laughs> yeah, that's really it, right? Like, I it's guess. to make it so that, like, basically the first time he rides it is the day before the game. But, like, uh, I don't know. It's just... Yeah, it's, I it's agree. Either that is not necessary at it's all. It's a dumb miniature twist that I don't appreciate. Uh, I just, while we're talking about this with Hermione and everything, and we will talk about the Quidditch game and how wonderful the commentary in that Quidditch game is, but these three chapters, this is what I thought at the end of reading all three of them, it's three chapters of people prioritizing sports over safety and friendship and everything else. That is the theme of these three chapters with regards to the way they treat Hermione and the way Wood talks about... <laughs> yeah, well, he's special. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's mostly Harry, Ron, and Oliver Wood uh, prioritizing sports over safety and friendship. I don't know. It's just a thing that I noticed. <laughs> I think you're right. I do think that the Hermione thing is more based on Crookshanks. Yeah, like, that's the, that's the, not to make a really bad joke, but that's the crux of the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Harry is even happy to hang out with Hermione, and but he does say, like, well, Crookshanks probably ate Scabbers because Crookshanks is a cat and Scabbers is a rat. And Hermione, who is stressed beyond belief, is the one who, like, blows up at him uh -huh. reasonably and is like, I knew you'd take Ron's... But he's not... Like, he's happy to still be friends with Hermione. He's reaching right. out. Yeah. And it is until that moment that it sort of blows up yeah. for him as well. Which I feel like... And maybe this is just me, like, trying really hard to reconcile Hermione's characterization. But I feel like if she wasn't, you know, stressed out so of her stressed, yeah, with academics, that she would have been more, like, reasonable about Crookshanks? I think so. I think also she adopted a cat without the ability to take care of it because she's taking so many classes. Yeah. And she adopted a very specific cat. <laughs> she adopted a very hard-to-care-for cat. That's also on the shop owner letting 13 year olds with yeah. no supervision adopt animals yeah most... and take them to boarding school where does she get cat food what does she do with litter yeah exactly no idea who could say crookshanks is also an indoor outdoor cat so maybe maybe he takes care of himself the way he's described also probably needs grooming as God, part of yeah hair, because he sounds like a long-haired cat he is definitely a long-haired cat He's one of those long-haired cats with a smushed face. Smushed face, long-haired cat. To take care of a cat like that, you also have to brush them. Well, Googling this is definitely the right thing to do. Um, <laughs> I highly recommend everybody Google smushed face, long-haired cat. Excuse me while I Google. Aww. The first one of which is definitely Crookshanks. That's a very good cat. It's That's certainly a grumpy cat. If you picture Grumpy Cat, that is what Crookshanks is. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the person the person dealing with cat adoptions should have really known better than to pair Hermione with this particular cat. <laughs> uh, which I guess I'll just go ahead and say the chapter art that we will be highlighting in a tweet this episode is a drawing of what is supposed to be Crookshanks and either as E said before we started recording, the world's smallest tree or the world's largest cat. Um, <laughs> it was Adela and, who said that. Oh, yes. Sorry. It was Adela who said that. Yes, it is not a good picture of Crookshanks. Crookshanks in this picture does not have the smushy face that he is supposed to have. Kind of looks like a lynx. 
Yeah, it's not long haired either. It does look like a wild, like a bobcat or something. Yeah. He does not look like a, quite a small lion, which is how Harry described Crookshanks. So, Mary Grand Prix, I have a bone to pick with this particular <laughs> illustration. Anyway, so yes, I do think that Hermione is unfairly maligned and also the shop owner of Ilop's Emporium or wherever it is that they went should have <laughs> adjusted things. Can't wait to see how all that plays out. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, no, no big deal. <laughs> I do I do have an inkling of what happens to Scabbers, which makes it very suspicious Ooh, to me. Interesting. Mm. Okay, um, good. Should we move on to the Patronus chapter? Yeah. Right before Harry has the Patronus lesson with Lupin, um, Hermione has figured out Lupin's secret. Since Harry and Ron are not talking to her, they don't get to know the secret. Has she legitimately? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. You learn later that it's the assignment that Snape gave. Ron, like, comments on Lupin looking ill, and Hermione just, like, tuts in the background. And then she's like, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like, I said, I wonder what's wrong with Lupin and you. And she says, well, isn't it obvious? And then, like, leaves, basically. Yeah, Yeah. and Ron Ron implies that she doesn't know and is just getting attention. Yeah. But... That is the implication. The implication is incorrect. Yeah. All right. Good for her. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. she's smart and knows Latin. Yeah. <laughs> Not to jump ahead too far, but the Pottermore page for Patronus also implies, and this is probably revealed later, I don't know, that Lupin's Patronus is also a wolf, which is incredibly funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... She just couldn't stop. Really just could not stop. Um, <laughs> oh, anyway. This is actually the chapter where Scabbers disappears. Mm-hmm. I think. Yes. So Harry has the Patronus lesson with Lupin. Yeah. Wherein he learns about Lupin's friendship with James and Sirius. Sort of. Um, a little bit. Or lo- learns that, it, that there was a friendship there. <laughs> mm-hmm. The lesson includes multiple flashbacks to the you know the the memory that Harry gets when he sees yes. the Yeah. And each time he gets progressively more clarity about what he's hearing and feeling. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting I just thought of this, Zoe. I think I know what you're going to say, but um I think I can't remember where he is reflecting on this, but he um thinks something about like Maybe the Patronus is not working because he secretly wants to hear his parents' voices. Yeah, he says that. Mm. And it's just an interesting parallel to something that's happening in the fifth and sixth, well, fifth book, in the fifth book, where he is supposed to be, like, avoiding something of something mentally happening in his brain and uh, doesn't necessarily want to. Mm-hmm an interesting parallel that i just noticed yeah absolutely the way that harry thinks and the way that he um reacts to things happening in his brain i guess yeah i think there's different roots to each of those moments Mm -hmm. but in this case i mean poor harry yeah yeah he doesn't remember his parents and this is the only connection outside of the mirror of erised 
He's like yeah. semi-intentionally subjecting himself to trauma. He doesn't even remember. Yeah. So that he can remember more of the trauma. <laughs> yeah. We will come back to the don't remember part um, in, I think, book seven. Oh, um, good. With a theory. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about Patronuses? Yeah. So you asked me a couple of, was it just last episode? Time is fake. You asked me what <laughs> I thought of Patronus was. And I said something along the lines of an animal that represents yourself. Mm-hmm. And obviously that is not quite correct, but I think it's pretty close. <laughs> it's close in the way that, and this is something we wanted to, we talked about bringing up. It's close in the way that general culture talks about quote unquote spirit animals. And that was for sure the understanding I had. Mm. Yeah. Whereas a Patronus is a very, very specific thing. Yes. It's not a spirit animal. No. Yeah, I I had never I had never even like considered comparing them before, but until you guys brought it up today. Yeah, this is something I've seen quite a lot on social media and I would call it earlier Tumblr, maybe not early Tumblr, but yeah. earlier. Yeah. Um where people say like, "Oh, well, my Patronus is this and my spirit animal is this and my demon Damon from the Historic Material series is this, right? Like, you go through all of them. You'd put it on your about page of your right, Tumblr. exactly. The same way that right now you'd put it on your card. Yeah. I don't think people put that on their card, but... No. <laughs> it was that sort of <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there is, or was, this part of the fandom I am not as aware of. But as far as I know there at least was a conflation between spirit animal and Patronus in parts of the fandom. Hmm. And I want to be very clear, they are not the same. And unless you are specifically gifted a spirit animal by somebody from an indigenous community, or you are part of a community, an indigenous community that practices this religion, Mm -hmm. you don't have a spirit animal. Yeah. Yeah. And you cannot say that you do. And you cannot say that you do. It's just, it's not something that you can conflate with this fictional. It's not fictional, is my point. It's spiritual and it's real to to these communities and in these communities. And a Patronus ain't real. Yeah. You can want one all you want, but it's not real and it's not a spirit animal and it should not be conflated. And it is something that I have seen in the past. I don't, I don't, I'm... I feel like we said a lot of stuff, but I I just want to be abundantly clear that saying you have a spirit animal, if you are not indigenous from a community who has spirit animals as part of their culture, uh, that is cultural appropriation. Um, There are very small exceptions to this. For example, myself, I don't talk about it very often, but my parents were very close with an older Ojibwe couple when my brother and I were born and we were gifted with spirit names and spirit animals by that family. But it was a gift. It was not something that you identified for yourself. Yeah. You cannot choose, you cannot decide for yourself that you have a spirit animal if you are not indigenous. That is, uh, although I don't know if there are other cultures around the world that have them. I'm there not sure. are cultures and this is something I have a couple of posts that I'll put in our links 
um, a couple of different blog posts that talk about spirit animals from a couple of different perspectives. But part of the, I don't want to say confusion, but part of the ignorance around spirit animals is that there are other cultures around the world that have animals in a spiritual, meaningful way Mm -hmm. that are not the specific tradition of spirit animals to indigenous American communities, which sometimes gets confused or conflated or said as like, oh, this is a justification because, you know, the paganism that I follow does it, which is not, you you still can't use the word spirit animal. Yeah, each of these... Uh, religions or spiritual practices have their own specific words for this, and those right. should be used because like spirit, your spirit animal, animal is specific. A spirit animal is not a familiar. It's not a totem, but that also a Native American thing. Words so matter. It's, yeah, words matter. Um, Patronus, a specific thing, a fictional thing, not spiritual. And I just, I guess I really want to emphasize that because they are sometimes put in the same sentence with things like demons and patronuses and demons and patronuses from his dark materials and from harry potter are explicitly fictional and to fictionalize someone's belief or spiritual practice is real fucking bad so don't do it yeah and we will talk about we will talk more about cultural appropriation within harry potter and the harry potter world later uh (laughs) but i do not think that i do not think that the uh, patronus is part of that no, I yeah. think that that's people who are reading it, who are putting that on there. And I think yeah. that that should be noted. Yes. Anyway, um, should we talk about what our Patronuses are and about the yeah. Wizarding World uh, Pottermore pitch? Um, so we did the Wizarding World Patronus quiz. Is this yes. the same as what it has is, been there? It is the same quiz. It is not the same result that I got. <laughs> same. I do so, not like either of my results either. The format of this quiz... It's like a flash, almost like an interactive animation, more than a quiz, where sets of choices will flash up on the screen and you have to click one as quickly as you can. Yeah, with like, without, as, without thought, otherwise it moves to a different question. You don't get to deliberate on your answers. There's only like five or six questions. It's not very many. I had eight or nine. Oh, wow. Huh. Interesting. I guess it was very clear on mine. <laughs> So back when Wizarding World was Pottermore, I did take this quiz when it came out, and I was assigned a bat. Um, This time around, I was assigned an otter. Hmm. Nice. That's what Hermione's Patronus is. Yes. An otter? Yeah. Uh, I I assume a sea otter or a river otter? Um, It does not differentiate. This one also doesn't look like an otter. It looks like a beaver. So I can't (laughs) tell you from the animation. (laughs) That might be a sea otter. River otters are vicious. They're so cute, though. Sea otters are adorable. <laughs> there is an account on Instagram called Zooborns, and they work with different zoos, and they go to, like, you can, they, they like, show off the little baby animals, and there's currently a little baby otter that they're showing uh-huh. on their Instagram page, and he's so fluffy. <laughs> also, the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago has a whole bunch of, they're doing a live otter cam re- uh, often and they have this video of one of their otters I, my favorite fact about otter maybe i should be an otter i don't know <laughs> uh one of my favorite facts about otters is they have a built-in 
pocket, like underneath their arm. It's just like a little extra flap of skin. And they yeah. will, they are known to keep like a snack or a favorite rock in there. And I think it's really yeah. cute. That's so also, cute. Also, they hold hands when they sleep. It's so good. <laughs> anyway. I got a field mouse. Okay. This is the only time I've done it. And it feels fine. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if, if I were to do the Patronus charm, if I would just get a regular sized field mouse. <laughs> um, I th- no, I think they generally are the size of the animal that they are. Yeah. yeah. So, very brave mouse. What about you, Dylan? Um, the first time that I took the quiz, uh, I got a squirrel. Okay. And this time I got a basset hound. Okay. <laughs> so, the thing with this quiz is it doesn't, like... There's no write-up afterwards, like... No. It's not like, yeah, this is, this is what this says about you. Yeah. It's no different than you deciding that, like, this is my Patronus. I do know what my Patronus would be if I got to choose it, um, which we should talk about the Patronus Charm Pottermore page, because there is a section where it talks about um, favorite mm. animals and things mm-hmm. like that, which I think is interesting. This yeah. is actually a really cool yeah. page. I don't think the author's thoughts are in here, unless they're in part that you spoilered out for me. <laughs> for context, I removed um, a section of the, the, the text charm. Yes, uh, page because there were some spoilers. So I copied and pasted everything that wasn't a spoiler, a spoiler into Discord for you to read. Yeah, so I am, I am unbespoiled. <laughs> by the page uh, but no uh, I don't think it has JK, JKR's thoughts in it it does um, I was sort of hoping for it with this one because it's such a like it's not a usual fantasy trope in the way that I think it's one of the most interesting spells yeah I like, like a and lot of the... the magical fantasy beasts stuff in these is pretty tropey so this one is like a breath of fresh air of creativity that I was kind of hoping to hear the author's thoughts on. But given where we are on the author right now, probably might as well not. Yep. Yeah. Who cares? It's ours. Uh, so for a Patronus charm, you need a specific talisman memory. More than the memory, what you need is the feeling that the memory evokes, which is the thing that that I found interesting. Which, like, I, I did know that because that's pretty clear it's made pretty clear in the books but i just think that's interesting to think about that it's not the memory itself it's the feeling um of pure joy or love or hope or whatever um and being able to manifest that feeling the thing that i wanted to mention with this is in this chapter when harry is trying to learn the patronus charm he goes through several different memories um some of which work better than others but they're always like a very tangible, specific thing that has happened to him that he can remember. But later in the books, it's more about the feeling than the memory itself. So, and I don't think this is a spoiler to say there's a part, there's a time, I don't remember if it's in this book or if it's in a later book, but um, Harry is able to cast the Patronus, is able to get past Dementors just by thinking of Ron and Hermione, not by having a memory a specific memory that he's thinking of but just thinking about his friendship with ron and Hermione makes him able to survive the dementors i think it is actually at the end of this book i think it is sometime in this book sounds like the memory part is more of a an assist to like it's a way to manifest that feeling in yourself yeah 
but the the point like later in ch- the chapter Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw Harry didn't stop to think plunging a hand down the neck of his robes he whipped out his wand and roared expect Patronum he does not have a happy memory in that moment he doesn't have a memory he doesn't have a thought in that moment <laughs> to be fair he also didn't have a dementor to face but <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> but it but is interesting did, yeah. that he doesn't seem to need it at that moment other things in this page that I like the we hear from a magical theorist named Spangle. I don't remember what his first name is. Uh, Catullus. Catullus Spangle. In the 18th century. So like high enlightenment. (laughs) (laughs) Who says that that the Patronus represents that which that which is hidden, unknown but necessary within the personality. Which very basically is exactly what E was saying when we asked them what Patronus is. So it's weird because on the one hand, there's like, you don't choose your Patronus and you can be surprised by the form it takes and it's not necessarily your favorite animal, etc., which gets reinforced by this page. But there's also that it is a representation of something essential or, you know, personal to you, which is an interesting distinction. And I feel like it's such a tricky distinction to make that it's probably the reason that so many people confuse it with spirit animal type stuff. Trying to find... Are you trying to find a spotter's guide to rare and unusual Patronuses? What? (laughs) Oh, you haven't seen this? No. I don't know where the original is from, so I'll just pull up the thing that I can pull up. Give Give me a hot second here. Um, this, like, moved around Tumblr like crazy a few years ago. Yeah, here we go. It's a Wattpad link. I don't know if it's the original link, but we'll put it into the show notes. Um, it's great. It includes things like a Dementor as your Patronus, um, a Mantis Shrimp, a Blue Whale. Um, I enjoy that description, to be that clear. particular illustration, because the Blue Whale is the size of a Blue Whale. Yeah. Um, to be clear, for anyone not looking at this, it is a piece of fan art of um, strange Patronuses and the wizards who are casting them. Um, a baby goat stampede. A superhero. <laughs> Space invaders. Magikarp, I think, is my favorite. Um, with the very <laughs> frustrated witch um, in the corner. Um, Space invaders, yeah. A sloth that this particular witch is actively holding, because what exactly is a sloth do? A blobfish. Yeah. The way that Patronuses move in the movies and in like on the in this little flash quiz of Patronus um, is like any type of animal would animal would be fine because they just kind of float through the air. But in the books, they are not described as floating through the air. They are described as just as moving the way that that animal moves. So. So yeah. this um, this particular spotter's guide is is accurate, shall we say? Um, <laughs> I did find the actual link, um, which includes some close ups of some of the more fun ah, ones. Um, so nice. I I do enjoy the very happy wizard with the baby goat stampede. Yeah, they're just having their life. Yeah, you know, sometimes your patronus is a baby goat stampede. There's not even a dementor there. They just casted it for for baby goats. For baby goats, exactly. So. There is a paragraph that I removed something from. Uh, the form of Patronus may change during the course of a witcher wizard's life, which I think is cool. Yeah, the thing that it gives as examples is like bereavement, grief, mm-hmm. you know, falling in love, 
uh, profound personality shifts, quote unquote, psychic shock. I don't know quite what the author means there. PTSD? Yeah. I swear there was a paragraph about favorite animal patronuses. Where is that? Um, it's a bit about that. Spangle is interesting on the subject of those unusual witches and wizards who produce a Patronus that does take the form of their favorite animal. Uh, such a Patronus is an indicator of obsession or eccentricity, who may indeed parade tendencies that others might prefer to conceal. Mm. Whatever the form, you would be well advised to show respect and perhaps caution toward a witch or wizard who produces the Patronus of their choice. Ah, uh, I see. Interesting. My Patronus, if I got to choose it, would be a snow leopard, because that has been my favorite animal since I was four years old. <laughs> I have no idea. We were having a conversation about this a little while ago in a Discord we have with friends, and we were also talking about what our demons would be in the His Dark Material series, um, which is a much more explicit description of what it is, which is an animate form of soul that yeah. is... Paired. It's like part of your soul. Yeah. Um, one cannot exist without the other kind of thing. It is not something you conjure. It is a part of you. And there are a lot more specific descriptions of like slimy people being really ugly insects and sneaky people being like all these sort of like more stereotypical ideas of animals. And I don't think that seems to apply to Patronuses. Um, which makes it very hard to figure out what my Patronus would be. But I guess if I'm just picking out of the blue, I always think of my demon being some sort of marsupial um, for the fact that I am ridiculously maternal more often than mm. not. I am the mom friend, but I don't think my Patronus would be that. I feel like my Patronus would be some sort of large dog. Um, I think mine would, if I got to choose, it would be a brown bear. Nice. Yeah, I could totally see. I, I like totally bears. See a bear. Yeah, I, I want a bear to defend me. Ooh, a thing that I wanted to read. There was another thing. Sorry, um, that I liked from this. I just want to read the last paragraph of this uh, Pottermore mm -hmm. page. Um, Extinct Patronuses are very rare, but not unknown. Strangely, given their long connection with wizard kind, owl Patronuses are unusual. Most uncommon of all. Of all possible Patronuses are magical creatures such as dragons, thestrals, and phoenixes. I don't think think it's a spoiler to say that Dumbledore's Patronus is a phoenix. Yep. Imagine. <laughs> uh, never forget, though, that one of the most famous Patronuses of all time was a lowly mouse, which belonged to a legendary young wizard named Ilias, who used it to hold off an attack from an army of Dementors single-handedly. While a rare and magical Patronus undoubtedly reflects an unusual personality, it does not follow that it is more powerful or will enjoy greater success at defending its caster. So there you go, E. Your mouse Maybe will be just eat. as. You've got a very powerful mouse. You have a very powerful mouse. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is interesting, though, that the, that the form of the Patronus does not correlate to how powerful it is. I like that. Um... One more thing I wanted to say about this page, because we, I found this page very interesting, um, especially with the stuff from Spangle, which is very much magical theory, which we hear the, the phrase magical theory in the books once in a while, but you never learn magical theory at Hogwarts. Or if you do, we don't learn any of it. They don't have, like, philosophy classes. I think this is one of the things that um, 
if this if these books were from the perspective of Hermione, we would know a lot about magical theory, <laughs> probably, um, because that's a thing that she is more interested in than Harry is. I think you get probably some magical theory in Arithmancy and Ancient Runes. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there should be magical theory in every class. <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect that there is quite a lot and of there probably is, yeah. discussed, but Harry is not interested in magical theory. So we I think it would it. also, in a, in a sort of philosophical way, it would contradict the theme of the books to talk about magical theory, because at least so far, there has been a lot of, like, good versus evil. Yes. You know, capital letters. Some things are inherently good, and some things are inherently evil. And getting into theory and actually, like, picking apart those ideas is a <laughs> also it's it would completely bit. take a away from the whimsy aspect of the whimsical nature of oh, magic sure. in these books yeah so <laughs> imagine having to examine the systems that you built and me fun. as a child would not have cared about magical theory me now wants to know magical theory stuff yeah but these are books for kids and that would be like the ya yeah yeah version of this and by the time we get to the YA books in this series, the more YA books in this series, we are less concerned about lessons <laughs> and more concerned about other things happening in the world. Yeah, so. there's, there's other shit happening at that point. I think that this page lines up a lot with canon. And I think that this page lines up a lot with fandom. Um, I have read Fix, where a changed Patronus is a key turning point um, due to um, grief or love. I have read fix with people unable to cast Patronuses due to trauma. Like this sort of lines up with... Although interestingly, the thing that this page says is not you can't cast a Patronus due to trauma, but some people can't cast a Patronus until they have had trauma. Yeah, because they need to see the contrast. Which is a very specific, like, view of, I don't Happiness. know, how a person's, yeah, like, mentality and emotionality works. Mm -hmm. Which is something. Um, you will see some Patronuses later. We already revealed that Hermione's is an otter. Um, yeah, we don't actually see Harry's. Oh yeah, you don't know what Harry's is yet. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't remember if it was flavor text on Pottermore or... Or uh, where, but I know what Harry's Patronus is. Okay. And you do learn that uh, Ron's is a Jack Russell Terrier. That's very good. I don't remember what Ginny's is. Ginny's is a... Um... It's a cat. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't it some kind of cat? <laughs> it's a cat. And Luna's is a hare, which is very appropriate. And we also know Neville's, and I can't remember Neville's. It's not a toad. <laughs> no. Do we learn Neville's? I don't remember. Yes, you do. Can't wait for the plot stuff that means all of these people have to learn this charm. <laughs> eh. Yeah, we don't learn. We don't learn his in the book, so it might be on. You do Pottermore not in somewhere. this book. No, it's I mean in, book in five. five. No, because he never fully conjures it. He's able to do he. He's able to do the um, the non light shield, non corporeal. I, 
I really thought that when we saw Ginny, we also saw Neville, but maybe I was wrong. I don't think so. Anyway, the point is you do actually get to see some um, Patronuses. Uh, the one that I think is a little bit cruel is Mr. Weasley's is a weasel. Yeah. Hmm. It's um, unfortunate. Yeah, and that's one that, like... I mean, weasels are super cute. Weasels are they super cute. And curious, curious creatures, which... Yeah. <laughs> Arthur Weasley is a curious yeah. creature. Like, it makes sense. It's just that's also what Draco Malfoy uses to tease the entire family, and so it feels uh-huh. really cruel. Um, yeah. Anyway, so that is the Patronus page. Also in the uh, Patronus lesson chapter, we learn about the Dementor's kiss. Yeah, we do. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> e, do you want to describe what a Dementor's kiss is? God, no. it's on page one eighty-three in the. Thank you. Uh, Let me find what British Lupin one. says. Yeah, so Harry, you know they're they're calming down from the lesson and. Harry asks, what's under the Dementor's hood? And Lupin's like, well, nobody really knows, but it's uh, the worst weapon of a Dementor, the Dementor's kiss. Uh, They clamp their jaws upon the mouth of the victim and suck out his soul. You can exist without your soul, you know, as long as your brain and heart are still working, but you'll have no sense of self anymore, no memory, no anything. There's no chance at all of recovery. You'll just exist as an empty shell, and your soul is gone forever. Which is... There's that. Horrifying. Horrifying, yeah. And then he follows that, you know, shot chaser. Uh, The Dementors have been given permission to do that to Black. Which Harry thinks is appropriate. Harry, pro-death penalty. You learned it here, everybody. He's 13 and incredibly angry. 13 has just learned this information about this murderer and is very angry and also has been reliving the trauma of his parents' death over the past hour. (sighs) Yeah. And I think that um, this does reverse later, but anyway. Um, Yeah. Shall we move on to some lighter topics? Yes. We mentioned that um, Scabbers disappears. I don't think we need to really talk more about that. No, we we went over Crookshanks pretty thoroughly. Zoe, you want to talk about this Quidditch game? I do. Um, this Quidditch game is, I think, one of my favorite Quidditch games in the entire series. I think I've said that before. Yeah, it's real good. It's, it's a good. good Quidditch game for a lot of reasons. Um, there are some ones in book six that are also just so good. Anyway, um, point is uh, after. Crookshanks supposedly kills Scabbers. Harry has to go do his battle on the sport field. (laughs) (laughs) And he has his firebolt, which is very exciting. And specifically, he is playing against a seeker who is a woman. And now we get to talk about racism. Do we need to do it? Do we have to now? I think we're going to talk more about this in book four. Four. I was just going to say, we need to talk about this in book four. She's not really here, but for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, this is the introduction of Cho Chang. The single, one and only, East Asian character. Don't you know it? We'll talk about Cho Chang in depth and the issues with her name, for instance, along with her tokenization um, in book four, but she is introduced here. Even without 
cultural stuff and her name. It is wild that she is introduced, like, only to be a pretty girl that's slightly distracting to Harry. Which feels yeah incredibly, like... There's been girls in Quidditch before. Like the he plays with two of them. The Slytherins. Three of them. Three of them. Yeah. Three of them. I'm pretty sure the Slytherins had girls on their team. No, the Slytherins do not have girls on their team. Okay. <laughs> As is specifically stated. But the Gryffindors yeah. do. So it's like Gryffindors have three. All of them are very good at their job. He's not really in a like state of mind to be flirting. So I don't know why this is here. Yeah. To be fair, he is, like, he is distracted at first, but mostly... Mostly he just gets annoyed, yeah. Like, mostly he's trying to play the game, and she's, like, tailing him and stopping in front of him and stuff. And I find that really interesting. Yeah. I was specifically talking about just, like, the introduction. The introduction, yeah, is, like... When the teams are shaking hands. Like, she's extremely pretty, she smiled at Harry, and he, you know, gets butterflies about it. Dumb. Why'd you put that there? We don't need this. <laughs> Just play Quidditch. <laughs> the Quidditch is good, though. The Quidditch is real good, and Adela's favorite part of this is Lee Jordan. Yeah, yes. Lee Jordan's commentary. <laughs> who is doing running commentary for the game. He always does running commentary for the game. Except this time he's doing running commentary for the Firebolt. The Firebolt. He's, <laughs> he's doing an ad for the Firebolt. Um, also, apparently he's doing running commentary for the game next to Professor McGonagall, who occasionally yep. steals the mic from him to scream at him, which I <laughs> yeah. deeply, deeply appreciate. Um, Incredible. It's very funny. Um, I wish it was as funny in the movies. It's not. I'm just imagining hearing this, like, scuffle over the microphone on loudspeaker <laughs> in a stadium. I know. It's great. And then Wood. <laughs> so Cho Chang cuts off Harry and Wood screams at Harry, Harry, this is no time to be a gentleman. Knock her off your broom if you, her broom if you have to. Which also yeah. Harry would have done to Malfoy. Yes. Oh. But also maybe not to Cedric. <laughs> Point being, it's a really cool Quidditch game. And of course, so Cho notices three tall black hooded Dementors. And Harry didn't stop to think. He plunges a hand on the neck of his robes and he whips out his wand and he shouts, Expecto Patronum! Um, and then he goes and, and catches the snitch. And he goes and catches the snitch. And also he does not get to see what the fully formed corporeal Patronus that he just produced. Oh, it, it is corporeal here? It's, I think, yes, supposed it to is. be. it is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, something silver white, something enormous erupted from the end of his wand. I think it's supposed to be we learn towards the end that it that other people yeah. saw it and it is yeah it is corporeal. a corporeal yeah. patronus um scares and... the living daylights out of and <laughs> it's draco and his cronies and draco is <laughs> like tied up in the robe and he's standing on goyle's shoulder like everything about this is it's incredibly funny incredibly good in the way that draco telling his father that harry is the most popular whatever father going like i've heard this a dozen <laughs> times this is exactly the same feeling that he went to so much trouble and i have read so many fics where this is brought up as like the moment when everybody else knew that draco had a crush on harry and neither of them realized <laughs> it to the point where I, there was some fic i was reading rereading at this point and pansy was like oh my god he stayed up all night sewing those robes by hand so that he could because he didn't know any sewing spells so that he could scare the living daylights out of you. Like funny. it is such a great moment, and I associate it with the fandom. What did he expect to happen? 
Like, he didn't know that Harry was taking anti-dementor lessons, probably, but... He thought Harry would fall off his broom again. <laughs> Clearly. He knows he's not a real dementor. Like, he can't do fear. <laughs> it's just... It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Um, the way that Draco, like, is a bully in these books, I just find it very, like, goofy a lot of the time. And, like... Like over dramatic. It's so it's oh, yeah. so like Draco is a drama queen. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that this is one of those moments where like reading the book, I was like, why would anybody go to that level of trouble? <laughs> Just like why? Like you could have yeah. gone to the Dementors and been like, there's another Quidditch game happening. Don't you want to come here? And like that yeah. would have worked so much better. And yeah. also probably would have been right up his alley. And instead he like stayed up. I fully accept the headcanon that he stayed up all night and sewed these ropes by hand, let me tell you. Like, picturing a 13-year-old Draco, obviously, Tom Hilton, like, hand-sewing extra-large robes and then, like, clambering onto Goyle's shoulders and being like, let's fucking do this. I'm going to get my rival this time. Like, ah, I love it. Anyway. It's, like, really a short moment and a short Quidditch game. But once again... Quidditch is like one of my favorite things in these books. It's delightful. It really is. And the commentary is always good. And the the party that the Gryffindors have, minus Hermione being stressed to panic, is also delightful. Yeah. And this is really a, a moment where you see just how stressed Hermione is. She just bursts into tears. Wanted to briefly, I think it is interesting to look at, for us to continue looking at Harry's dreams. Mm-hmm. throughout the books because he has a lot of dreams and often I mean often they are nonsense but they are still related to what is happening in his life at the time or what he's thinking about or what he cares about so I just want to look at the dream that he's having right before Ron gets attacked it's on page 196 of the British edition it says he was walking through a forest his fireball over his shoulder following something silvery white it was winding its way through the trees ahead and he could only catch glimpses of it between the leaves anxious to catch up with it he sped up but as he moved faster so did his quarry harry broke into a run and ahead he heard hooves gathering speed now he was running flat out and ahead he could hear galloping then he turned a corner into a clearing and ron woke up clearly this is obviously about him learning to conjure a patronus it's also a very yeah. interesting parallel to something that happens in the seventh book. So I just wanted to point that out, Zoe. <laughs> that is the thing that I didn't realize until this reading. Um, often these dreams are anxiety dreams. I don't think this is an anxiety dream for him as much as it's just like he's starting to learn about his parents or he's just he's just starting to learn about his parents in this book. Yeah. and. It's, I think it's interesting to interpret this dream as him reaching for that knowledge about his parents and his past. Yeah, it's almost, it's like hopeful, mm-hmm. really, because he's like, he's just come off of like a really good Quidditch match, like a successful Patronus casting, which is something he'd been working at for a while. Like he's had a really good day. He has a, a tangible connection to his parents not just not because of the memories but through lupin now because he Mm -hmm. knows that lupin knew them and was closer to them than anyone that he knows right now other than obviously petunia so that gives him hope that he will be able to learn more about them i think yeah and then 
the chapter ends with Ron being attacked. Yeah. And Sir Cadogan says, yeah, I let someone into the into Gryffindor Tower. It was fine. Somebody had, they wrote all the passwords down. And read them off a little piece of paper. Professor McGonagall pulled herself back through the portrait hole to face the stunned crowd. She was white as chalk. Which person, she said, her voice shaking, which abysmally foolish person wrote down this week's passwords and then left them lying around. There was utter silence, broken by the smallest of terrified squeaks. Neville Longbottom, trembling from head to fluffy slippered toes, raised his hands slowly in the air. Poor Neville. It shouldn't be a crime to have to write down your passwords. Also, Sir Cadogan. Sir Cadogan can get like, fucked. What? So, aside from the fact that he changes the passwords all the time, whatever. But I don't think that the fat lady would have let Sirius Black in, regardless yeah. of whether he had the passwords. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, I, they're supposed to only let in Gryffindors. So things are probably going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> are probably going to happen, yeah. Let's see, do we have two sections left or three? Wait, uh, 14, 15, 16? No, we have two sections left. Three, sorry. Um, 14, yeah. 15, 16 is what we'll read next time, then 17, 18, 19, and then 23, 22. So for next time, we'll be reading Snape's Grudge, the Quidditch Final, and Professor Trelawney's Prediction. Um, I will just give a fun preview. Um, the chapter art for Snape's Grudge is Snape. Hoo-hoo! <laughs> So we get an idea of at least what Mary Graham Pre was told. So yeah, looks pre, like. pre Alan Rickman. Pre Alan Rickman. Um, e, do you have any? And Adela, do you have any like big overarching closing thoughts? Not particularly. I want the book to get nicer to Hermione. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it just feels very mean right now. I think so. When I was talking about Hermione before, and like, I, it's just something I'd like to keep in mind as I'm reading the rest of the books is looking at the way that their friendship works. And like, yes, you reminded me of things that happen later that show that they are closer than I was thinking about. I also think that you can be close and also still not treat each other well. Oh, yeah. And yeah, also, yeah. I've been listening to both The Gaily Prophet and uh, The House of Black Pod. They're, I've just been on book one of them. Um, but they talked about uh, Hermione is not really treated well by them, even like in the first book, even after they become friends, like they continue to treat her the same way, other than just hanging out with her and not making fun of her for not having friends after that. Mm-hmm. So, and they talk a lot about that in those two podcasts, which is why I think it was on my mind. And they were mm-hmm. on the first book, which is why it was on my mind. And I wasn't thinking about future books quite as much. And this book is, I mean, you two are both really right. This book is real harsh on Hermione and on their friendship. Yeah. It will get better. Um, but I, that's just something I would like to keep in mind. Yeah. Moving forward. Another interesting thing related to Neville, because we don't, we're, we're probably not going to talk too much about our boy Neville in this book. He's kind of in the background. Yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that I was, that, I've been I've been thinking about because of these other two podcasts talking about it is um, they specifically talk about it a lot in the Gailey Prophet is what if Neville was part of this friend group what if it was a group of four instead of a trio because he was with them the very first time they had some type of adventure in the beginning yeah. of book one when they saw Fluffy for the first time 
and how different would the story have been and how different how much better would Neville's school life have been if he had been in this group of friends i i would like that alternate timeline just neville is not treated very well i mean he's not treated well by other students or by like professors in these books he's yeah. also not he's just not treated well by the author because he's i don't not, think yeah. like he is when he when he is struggling it is generally painted as something funny as something to be right. laughing about it's either something that the reader is supposed to laugh at or that people in the text with him are also laughing at him yeah yeah that was just a thing i wanted to mention since we were talking no, it's, briefly it's about good... neville give neville friends give neville friends he like especially he's the fifth wheel in the gryffindor in the gryffindor like boys of their year because Seamus yeah. and dean are best friends and then definitely dating um <laughs> and harry and ron are best friends so it's just poor neville he yeah. ends up like making friends with people in the year below him which is nice but yeah i don't know yeah there's a lot that's going to happen with neville i'm so excited for you to see neville's journey yeah, yeah. i've seen i've seen gifts <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So I know that he has development coming, and I am excited. Yes. I'm all, sorry, I'm all distracted because my cat is being very cute right now. His cat is being extremely cute right now. Yes. Um, well, thank you all for listening. Um, we know it's been kind of a trying time for so many reasons, but for Harry Potter fans, it's been really trying with all of the JKR stuff and you should know that we have commented this on, on this before and once again we stand with the trans community trans women are women and black lives matter and we hope that you will go back um, and look at some of the links that we have posted they are still extremely relevant so please keep that in mind um, we also hope that you will seek out some of the uh, black led Harry Potter podcasts that we mentioned in a previous episode and I mentioned um, again. And Adela, <laughs> yeah, and that Adela mentioned again this time. Um, they're great, and we hope that you enjoy them. Um, but for us, uh, find us at Potternot on Twitter and Tumblr. You can find the theme music by our fantastic composer, Jackson, at we did the time warp again.bandcamp.com. You can find me at Zoe Topaz on Twitter, Z O E T O P A Z. And buy my book, Ostentatious, The Evolving World of Jane Austen Fans, wherever books are sold. You can find me at C E L 10 E on Twitter. And you can find me at Aradel, A-R-E-D-H-E-L underscore underscore on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience. And we'll see you next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye.